0: Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank.
1: Each one of us has experienced and shared genuine love at some point during our lives, whether it be with our parents or our kids or our spouses or whatever. Along with love, of course, we live out other qualities such as mercy and kindness, sometimes anger or discipline, because we're not relegated to just one or two dispositions or temperaments. We have a whole plethora of them. Well, God's the same way. He's our creator God who loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. He's also merciful and compassionate. He's also a just God who cannot tolerate sin. We like to focus on his love and his grace because that makes us feel pretty good. We ignore, though, all too often his anger or his wrath, which is designed to bring us to repentance or to bring the world into judgment. But that would give us a misunderstanding of the true nature of God if we pick and choose the qualities that we want to see in God. Today, we will look at other characteristics of God in preparation for the coming tribulation period that we're going to study starting in Revelation 6. I'm Debbie Blank with Living Word Ministries. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. One of the most
0: important things for an accused person coming before any court is the character of the judge. Three Supreme Court justices were recently chosen for the highest court in our land. Their backgrounds, character, and standards were thoroughly examined because of the importance of their positions. Even so, human judges can surprise and disappoint us at times. They often fail to live up to expectations and in some instances, justice may never be done. But Jesus is soon to judge the entire world. And he is the only one worthy to bring perfect justice to a world longing for someone to
1: fairly judge, eliminate evil, and redeem the world. Jackie, I'm glad you talked about human judges. We need them. We've had judges since the beginning, or at least we can go back in Scripture to find out that Moses appointed judges to rule over the people. Of course, he was a judge, and before him, Abraham was a judge of his own people, as were the patriarchs but we need someone who will hold us accountable. We need someone who will discern between right and wrong. That's why Jesus needs to be a judge because we need him to do that. Otherwise, the world will just be a kumbaya world and we do whatever we wanna do, whatever seems right in our own eyes and there'd be no consequences. Well, that's not our God. Our God is not a God of chaos. Instead, he's a very orderly God who cannot tolerate sin. He's a holy and just God as we're going to see today when we walk through the first five chapters of Revelation, because we are walking through the book of Revelation, except today we're going to take a little dovetail off to the side to talk about the importance of Jesus as a judge. But when we walk through those first five chapters, the focus has primarily been on the revelation of Jesus Christ, looking at who he is and what he says to his churches And then seeing an amazing picture in heaven of God on the throne. And Jesus is the only one worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. So we've been focusing on worship of Christ, of love of Christ, of honor and power and glory of Christ. We've been seeing that displayed in these first several chapters. Why? Why does God give us that before he gives us the next 14 chapters talking about the horrible wrath that we're gonna see. Well, I think it's because God so loves the world that he wants to give us every opportunity to turn to Jesus Christ. He continues to share the gospel and remind us of who Jesus is. He wants people to see Jesus in all his glory in hopes that we will, as a world, turn to him before that great and terrible day of his wrath. And the frustration
0: in the world that we're suffering right now is we see lawlessness uh, so often in places that we used to be able to depend on the law and right was right and wrong was wrong and now it seems like things are upside down. That's so frustrating and to you mentioned the word chaos and I thought about that. When that happens, we have chaos and we're not meant to live in chaos. It's so scary actually when there's lawlessness breaking out. It's a sign of the end times. So we do long for as a culture and as a world, I think we're longing for real justice to come about. It's frustrating to see the innocent accused and the guilty let out and this revolving justice system, the revolving door justice system that we're watching right now. I think more and more we want to long for evil to be punished and for God's will to be done.
1: It's so wrong to see what you're talking about. People who've done wrong, not being held accountable for what they're doing. That just promotes chaos. And as I said, God is not a God of chaos. He cannot allow it. By the way, that just shows, as you said, a sign of our end times, this chaos that is being brought into the world before the return of Christ. It's this kind of chaos that will bring us to the point that we'll say, well, we need a world leader to stop all this chaos in the world. So what we're doing is turning to a leader who's really acting as our judge because he's going to make the decisions as to how we live. But anyway, getting back to the book of Revelation, even though we've seen Jesus described in his worthiness and his holiness so that we would come to know Christ before this terrible day of the Lord, he's also described in Revelation in chapter one as having eyes of flaming fire and feet of burnished bronze there's other characteristics too that display his anger towards sin and sinners because those are characteristics of a judge who's going to pour out his wrath. Remember Romans twelve nineteen, a famous passage where God says, never take out your own vengeance, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So God talks there about the wrath of God that will repay sinners for the deeds that they have done, but more importantly, for the fact that they have not repented and turned their lives over to Jesus Christ. So what causes God to display his wrath, his vengeance, or his justice? Well, I've just mentioned it. It's sin it's not only sin, but it's those who've chosen sin over God. Now, when I say sin, let's realize that we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. So we as believers, even though Jesus died on the cross and his blood covers our sins so that God doesn't see them and he's opened the door for us to enter into heaven because he has forgiven our collective sins, we still are sinners and we still sin. So we have to repent of those sins in order to have a right relationship with God while we're here on earth, we will get to heaven because we believed in Jesus Christ and He has covered those collective sins. The people who have not believed in Jesus Christ do not repent here on earth and do not repent and believe in Jesus in order to go to heaven. So we needed to make that distinction because sin is sin, sinners are sinners. But there's a difference between those who've repented of their sins and turned to Jesus Christ and those who have not. That's the difference between believers and unbelievers in scripture.
0: And that sin that Jesus died and paid for, that's the reason that we're no longer judged because we were judged on the cross. Our sin was put upon Jesus Christ and he took it to the cross and it was judged there So we escape any further judgment. But those who don't accept Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for their sins, which is available to all, then they have to go through that judgment based on their own merits. And none of us can stand that.
1: That's right. We are judged actually in 2 Corinthians 5.10, but we're judged on our deeds so that we can receive rewards, receive crowns to serve Jesus. So we will go through a judgment seat of Christ, but it's not over our sins. It's over how we have served Christ on this earth and the rewards that we will receive. That's different. The other people will be judged according to Revelation 20 that we'll get to in several weeks. And that is the great white throne judgment. And they're judged on their deeds, but they're relegated into eternal hell because their names aren't written in the Lamb's book of life. So understanding that we have believers and unbelievers, we have those people who've turned to Jesus Christ and therefore, according to Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there is for those who have not believed. So we have to go back though and find out in the beginning, really... How did it all begin? How did God's wrath come into being? Well, we realize that God chose through his love and his grace to create the world and everything that's in it. And when he did that, he created man and man was good. Everything was good, but man was very good according to the creation account, except man chose sin over God, thus ensuring God's wrath on sin because he can't allow sin even on this earth, but certainly in heaven. Through God's mercy as soon as sin came into the world, he promised us a redeemer. He provided his own son to ransom us for our sins and to overcome death. We know, according to John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So he gave us that opportunity because he loved us right away. As soon as sin came in, God said, here's your opportunity to believe in the Messiah. And when you do, you'll be saved from that sin. According to 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus is our propitiation. He's the one who satisfies the wrath of God. The Bible tells us in John three eighteen. He who believes in Jesus is not judged. And we're talking about judging for sin. But what about those who don't believe in Jesus? A little bit further in that verse, it says, he who does not believe in him has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God.
0: The wrath of God against sin is actually part of God's love for us and the love for his creation because sin is corrosive and it destroys. It's like a cancer that if you don't stop it, it's gonna destroy the whole organism. And therefore, that sin has to be destroyed. Because of God's judgment, that's righteous and right for us, and that we benefit from that, We also understand mercy and grace because we deserved punishment. We had that sin, but he covered it for us. So we understand and are grateful for his justice and mercy.
1: Oh, we all deserve judgment. Even those of us who are believers deserve it. But God, out of his mercy, has allowed us to overcome through Jesus Christ. How blessed we are and how important it is to turn to Jesus and to believe in him. Because he's given us every opportunity. As we've said before, if we won't accept Christ's love and turn to him now in this world, why do we think we would turn to him during the tribulation period when it's going to be horrible and wrathful and we'll get angry and mad and blame God? Now is the time to turn to him because now is the time when we can live for him the rest of our lives on earth and then go to the rapture to be with him. And miss all that's going to happen because what we're going to see in the tribulation period is the wrath of God poured out on an unbelieving world. That means that we won't be there because we are believers. You know, when we consider in our lives that we as adults, as parents need to discipline our kids in order to train them up in the way that they should go, we need to break that cycle of sin in their lives. So we need to discipline us. We give every one of our kids an opportunity to repent, or at least I did, and I'm sure you do too, and do the right thing because that's what we want them to do. Well, when that doesn't happen, what do we have to do? We have to discipline them. We have to give them some parameters. We might have to punish them so that they would see the right way to go. We do it in love to grow them, to draw them near to the truth. Well, that's the same thing with God. God desires to use opportunities in our lives so that we will turn to him. And that means that sometimes he needs to discipline us. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 is a great passage that explains that. It says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he discipline and he scourges every son whom he receives. When we are disciplined by the Lord and being reproved by him, we shouldn't be mad. We should be grateful because it's God drawing us to himself, drawing us to repentance, to a changed life so that we can be holier, learn from our mistakes and turn to God grow from that circumstance and move forward. David did. He repented when he sinned and God continued to use him and grow him. We can do the same thing if we will listen to God's reproof. And when he
0: disciplines us, it says here in the scripture that it means that we belong to him. And we've talked before about how we don't discipline the neighbor's children. you know. We expect the parents to do that. And we discipline our own children because they belong to us and they're our responsibility. So this disciplining of us in the scripture, you see it's totally in keeping with God's loving
1: nature. Yes, it is. And it goes on in that passage in Hebrews 12 to read, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. So think about instead of God hurting us, he's doing it because he loves us. I think of all the opportunities he gave me in life to grow through his discipline and how I did. And I'm one of these people that I don't like pain. So one opportunity to be disciplined by God is enough. I want to learn from that and not make them the same mistake twice, especially because it hurts God. Then verse nine says, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. That's so important to realize that when we're going through struggles. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. The passage says yet to those who've been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. As I look back on times in my life where God has had to discipline me to grow me and to bring me to repentance, I didn't like it. Most of the time I wasn't real happy about it. But as I look back now, I see why God did it. I see it was all designed for love, to build character, to build holiness in my life.
0: So it's really important because of God's love that he punishes or disciplines us. It's a better word, is the discipline as it's explained in this last passage. So love requires discipline. And God's holiness also requires judgment.
1: That's right. When we look at God's holiness and his judgment, we see a couple of names or characteristics of God. First of all, we have Elohim. God is the creator. We've talked about that, how he made everything good until man chose to sin and then man had to suffer their consequences. We see the name Jehovah Kadesh, which is God is holy. In Leviticus 19, it tells us, I am the Lord, your God. I am holy. God's holiness or his perfection, which is what holiness is, cannot tolerate sin, which is our imperfection. Therefore, we're told in Isaiah 59 too, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. So he doesn't hear sin is an anathema to God he cannot tolerate it. He has to deal with it. That's why when he is holy, he wants us to be holy. He does whatever he needs to do to make us holy. Another quality that we see of God is he's jealous. Jehovah Kana is his name. God is a jealous God according to Exodus 25 and 6. And you might recognize Exodus 20 because these are the 10 commandments. The first commandment is I am the Lord, your God, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second commandment is you will not have any graven images or build graven images before me. So he goes on then in that passage to say, you shall not worship them, the graven images or serve them for I Your God, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love and keep my commandments because God is a jealous God. We think of jealousy as a bad thing because in the scriptures it is. But with God, it's not, he cannot tolerate sin. He cannot have another God before him. He must deal with it and he's jealous enough that he will bring us to repentance so that we will repent of that sin. And again,
0: that's for our own good because if we go over to other gods, we're being led into evil powers and it's for our protection. So if we look at God just being jealous for his own sake, he's jealous for our sake. He's trying to protect us. There is no other God but God. He is good and he is our father. If we go off to other idols serving other things, those are demonic powers. Those are things that are going to lead us into
1: destruction. God gives us an example of his judgment in Exodus 22, 7 through 10. During the time of Moses, it says God spoke to Moses and said, go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. This Context is when Moses is on the mountain, God has given him the Ten Commandments, and the people below have decided to build a golden calf. So God tells Moses to go down, and then in Exodus 32, 8, he says, they have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. And by the way, when God gave them the commandments, he asked Israel through Moses, are they going to obey God? And they said, yes, we're going to obey God. Clearly, it didn't take long before they turned away. God goes on to say, They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And I will make you a great nation. These chosen people walked away from God after all the miracles that they had seen. And God's anger was so frustrated with them that he was gonna destroy them all, but Moses convinced God that he should not do that. God relented and did not destroy them. We see God will not tolerate sin against his people, whoever they are, whatever they do, nor will he in the future against the unbelievers. And all of this brings us to the fact that God is a righteous judge. According to Psalm 711, it says, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation provoked by sin every day. Deuteronomy 32, four says the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. We see God judging his people on earth with the flood at the time of Noah, when every thought of man's heart was only evil continually. God judged Israel when they went into captivity and destruction for their idolatry, because they turned away from him back in the times of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah for their ungodly and sexually perversive lifestyle. So he's gonna judge us. His name is Jehovah Sidkenyu Shepath god is the righteous judge
0: and all of these things that you mentioned are written for our instruction so that we can know that god is a judge he judges righteously and consistently his standards are consistent so that we can know that he judges righteously
1: god being a righteous god must judge sin as we've talked about we see that clearly in second thessalonians 1 5-9 which reads this is a plain indication of god's righteous judgment Did you catch that righteous judgment? There's a difference between unrighteous and righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering for after all, it's only just, you see that word just again, for God to repay with affliction, those who've afflicted you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his angels in flaming fire. And what does it say is going to happen when Jesus returns? Dealing out retribution to those who did not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds very similar to the wrath being poured out from Romans 1. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So for those who
0: long for justice and wonder if anything's gonna be done about what's been done to them or what's been done to the innocent. We see here that God does have a plan for that.
1: We also need to know through God's righteous judgment that he is going to judge the world. When we begin in Revelation six, we're gonna see that judgment, the wrath of God poured out on sin. God's wrath is mentioned 12 times in the book of Revelation. There's two words for wrath. One is orge, one is thumos in the Greek. Orge is a mental wrath, how you get angry because something is happening that isn't right, isn't accurate, isn't correct. Thumos anger or Thumos wrath is when you pour out, you actually take an action against that judgment that you're having in your mind. We see both of those in the book of Revelation. It's something that we need to take very seriously when we see the wrath of God. In Romans 1, 18 to 23, we are introduced to the wrath of God there as to what's going to happen in the future, because it reads for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. There's the caveat right there for the book of Revelation, and that is God is revealing his wrath against ungodliness, unrighteousness of men and those who suppress the truth. That's what we're going to see in the book of Revelation, starting in chapter six, because that which is known about God, it goes on to say in Romans one, is evident within them for God has made it evident to them. It goes on then in the next verse to talk about how God showed himself to the world. Verse 21 goes on to say, for even though they knew God, they didn't honor God or give thanks, but they became futile in the speculation and their foolish heart was darkened professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And I might add to that that we have added to that the image of us being our own gods. I mean, this sounds like us today. We are ungodly as a culture. We're unrighteous. We suppress the truth of God. We won't allow God's word or God's truth to be spoken without criticism oftentimes. That's what's gonna be judged in the book of Revelation, but that's what's being judged now by the wrath of God.
0: And what really strikes me is in verse 21, it says, for even though they knew, they knew God, it says he made himself evident. He's made himself evident through creation. There's no real excuse. But it's a desire to just kind of block that out and try to become wise and and have our own speculations about things when God has made it clear to us. So this is an intentional sin. These are people who are suppressing the truth with
1: intention. That's why it tells us in John three thirty six, he who believes in the son has eternal life. We can look forward to that if we believe in Jesus, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God is coming. God gives us every opportunity in this world to turn to him. We see it throughout the Bible where he's given people from the very beginning, when sin entered into the world until the end, God's whole purpose is to try and draw us to himself. But he won't force himself on us. If we continue to turn away from God, we are going to suffer the consequences of his wrath because of what we've done. We can't blame God for that. He tells us in that Romans 1 passage that we talked about, That when people turn from him, he will turn them over to the lusts of their heart, over to degrading passions, over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Well, think about that. That means their hearts, their minds, and their passions are all going to be doing the wrong thing because they turn away from God. Those are consequences from turning away from God. As I said, he won't force himself on us. It's our responsibility to turn to him. God warns us that those who don't turn to him, who don't receive the love of the truth so as to be saved, will perish in 2 Thessalonians 2.10. Again, as we move into Revelation 6, we see God's wrath poured out on this unbelieving world. Will you experience the wrath of God because you didn't turn to Jesus? Or will you believe in Jesus and surrender to his will so as to be saved? It's your decision, but one that will have eternal consequences. All it takes is for you to turn to Jesus today with your heart, confessing that you're a sinner, asking him to forgive you of your sins, turning your heart over to believing in Jesus as God who conquered death, who conquered sin, and who lives to make intercession for us. Do that today, and you will be one who experiences eternal life rather than the wrath of God that's coming upon this world.
0: Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box five four zero 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 three, Omaha, Nebraska 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.